1: Greetings, Grapple fans, and welcome along to another Pro Wrestling Index podcast here on the Anfield Index Podcast channel. I am your host Andy Wales, and yes, we've uh, we've been away. We've had a bit of a break, but goodness gracious, great balls of fire! We're back, are we not? More chatter.
2: Absolutely, indeed, we are, Andy. Uh, great to be back. Um, seems like ages since was last on. Uh, various things have been coming up for. All of us on the team, but um back we are and uh a lot to talk about as always.
1: Yes, and I even managed to squeeze in a little pun there.
2: Um very good, yeah. <laughs> the the Did, most awfully titled WWE show in history. What were they thinking? Great, great balls well, of fire. Well I was fire. gonna
1: say, great balls of fire. In the world in the words of John W. Henry, what are they smoking over there? <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, it's so bad that even their own talent, like, um, oh God, there, there's a few of them actually that were kind of poking fun at the.
1: Yeah, we, we retweeted a few on the, um, the, the PW index, uh, Twitter account at PW underscore index, uh, one from Becky Lynch, uh, which I, I particularly enjoyed. <laughs> Great balls of fire. What the? As <laughs> uh, so I enjoyed that. But anyway, enough of great balls of fire. <laughs> I'll never get over that one. I can't wait till we preview that. It's it's just going to be absolutely insane. Um, we, can just spend we have the whole a, show we... making
2: puns about it, couldn't we?
1: <laughs> oh, I I can dream up a thousand terrible jokes. Trust me, <laughs> I, I can sit all week dreaming up terrible jokes for this. But we've we have had. Um, a pay-per-view recently. Uh, We did miss that one. And obviously we're not going to go break it down match by match by match, but it was payback. Um, I I must admit more. My expectations were not too high going into it. I was not exactly enamored by it. The build was underwhelming, shall we say, but it's got mixed reactions. Now I've heard some people say it was absolutely awful Uh, I've even heard some, a few people, you know, respected people be quite positive about it. What about yourself more? How how did you feel in general about the payback event?
2: It was certainly not a great show, um, but I didn't think it was a poor show. Um, Clearly there were a couple of strong negatives about it. Um, The whole, um, all, everything involving Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton was just really poor, um, especially their House of Horror stuff, which is clearly pre taped And um, now that that was amongst the worst um, programming put out by the WWE in years and years. Yeah. It was that bad. It was the
1: thing is more. It was as people at the event could you know easily tell is uh, that when they were, fil- when they were doing that, the start of that match, it was still light outside. Yet here we are supposedly live and it's absolutely pitch black. You know, it was just, it, it went past, you know, like the stupidity on, on the side, you know, where you could laugh about it as ridiculous. It just, for me, that just, it just pushed things way, way too far.
2: Oh, it did. Yeah. It was just really poorly done all around. And, uh, no it also looked like it was in the middle of nowhere potentially and and yet the show itself was taking place in you know um a well built up area of San Jose in california um so it was just for me it just summed up everything that's wrong with a Wyatt character, quite frankly um it's a character that just doesn't work it's a character that's got no traction in the w w e it just um is really, really struggling. And, you know, bar fans putting the torches on their phones whenever he makes his entrance, that's the only real thing that he's got going for him at this moment in time. Everything else is just a complete fail. His interviews don't get over. Most of his matches um leave a lot to be uh, desired. And um as a character he clearly doesn't resonate with the audience like a large section of the roster that is pushed at that level is getting over. So I think they've really, really got to start scratching their heads and thinking, okay, how much more do we persist with this character? Because if he's really not getting over and fans are, you know, apathetic towards him, indifferent towards him, do we really, does he really warrant this push? do we need to change the gimmick and do something else with him? And I think they do. They've persisted with this gimmick for what, two, well, three years now. And, um, you know, it, it just has no momentum whatsoever. And, you know, he's starting to get another big push on raw. Um, but the fans just don't seem to care. And the guy behind the gimmick is a great talent. You know, there's no question about that, but, uh, you know, the, the gimmick itself for me just doesn't work. And, You know, it really was summed up on this show.
1: Yeah, I actually, I mean, I I kind of feel sorry for the guy in that, you know, he's putting everything into it. Uh, And the way that they've booked him and handled him over the past couple of years has been really, really poor. He's been made to look very weak, just by you know, telling everyone he's, you know, the face of fear and all the rest of it. Is barring a few wardrobe changes here and there, that the character is the same character it hasn't progressed it hasn't evolved it hasn't developed at all really in them in the past 2 to 3 years and the he got so over with the audience that it was the time to really for me was to flip it you know as they did with the undertaker over over the years you know he went heel to babyface in quite subtle ways and and then would turn back and when he became the heel, he was—he had that sort of demonic, nasty edge to him, and that's something that they've never really done with Bray Wyatt. So, for me, Bray Wyatt doesn't really get over as an actual heel, even though we're supposed to see him and believe him as a heel. He—he he doesn't really get over to me that this guy is actually a heel. He's just a nothing, you know. He's, he's just this guy that floats around. Uh, and, and does these pointless promos and and now cut dreams up with this match? I mean, what the hell's the point of fighting in the house? And then you've got to drive to go back to a ring to finish off a match. I mean, who the hell dreamed up with that? It's utter stupidity. And he's a this is the guy who's suffering for for the way that they're just dragging their heels. I think ultimately, and it's I mean. the by all accounts, the reaction from the live crowd when they were showing the stuff up on the screen was boring. They were just chanting, "Boring, boring, boring," and and you know that's that is what it is now.
2: Well, it is. That's right. Um, you know, uh, and it's it's not just Bray as well. I mean, the other half of that match, Randy Orton, is another individual um, in the upper echelon of the overall roster that really has lost momentum and uh, certainly far less over than he was five, certainly 10 years ago, um, really feels like a, a tired, dated act. Um, and in many ways he is. And again, you know, it's a shame because Randy Orton is a very, very talented worker, but, um, you know, he's not the most charismatic of people. Um, he's not the most, entertaining when it comes to promos and um you know he too has lost something and certainly when it comes to um crowd reactions and uh you know these two together they have just not been the chemistry there and um you know their feud should have really ended at wrestlemania shouldn't have carried on beyond that and uh clearly outstayed it's welcome and uh you know the the clear evidence was there at payback and um now, the fans rightly um, couldn 't care less about it because there was just nothing given to care about and uh, the fact that the House of horrors match itself was something that creative couldn 't really make their mind up about um, tells you that they were really struggling to get motivated for for what was um, a few that just you know really didn 't amount to anything
1: yeah by all accounts the crowd um had, had pretty much died off before, you know if they hadn't already died off by the start of that match that that was it that was the end of the event of effectively any kind of atmosphere which killed you know what would come after it Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe I thought it was it wasn't a great match between them I, I mean we'll get to it but I think they had a far better match on raw but I think their their match really suffered from the fact that by that point the crowd were just done they weren't interested anymore and and even well Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns towards the end, you know, the, I thought they put on a good show. But the, the atmosphere within the stadium, within that stadium from the beginning, as opposed to the end of the event, it's it, it's got to be pretty telling to to people at WWE. You, you'd hope it would be at least.
2: Well, that brings me neatly on to uh, one of my other gripes about the show is that um obviously Bailey lost. Um, in front of a hometown crowd in San Jose and um Alexa Bliss became the new raw women's champion and uh you know great for Alexa but um it was yet again WWE making the cardinal error of um jobbing out somebody in front of their hometown audience and this happens over and over again. I mean it's a Vince McMahon policy in fact that um when you have Um, talents working in front of their hometown that they can't get over. Um, they're not allowed to go over, rather. Um, they have to be put over a heel. Um, if they're a face, because, um, it's a great way to get heels over. And, um, you know, that, that's just a completely arse backward mentality because, you know, if they really put over, um, Bailey in front of a hometown crowd over in, get a big win in a good match. You know, she can go back to San Jose many more times and, you know, be, you know, the main draw in that, in that market. And, you know, they can do the same with others on their roster as well. when they go, you know, in front of their hometown crowds or home state crowds. And, um, you know, it's a Vince policy that that can't, that can't be allowed to happen. There are rare exceptions. I mean, um, Naomi, um, at WrestleMania um, in front of her hometown crowd. But um, by and large, nine times out of ten, um, especially if there are faces, um, they are jobbed out in front of the hometown audience. And um, that certainly, as you, as you were pointing out, seemed to deflate the crowd as well.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a strange one on that, isn't it? I mean, it's it deflates the crowd. And you think, you know, she came in such a huge star, great reaction. If if, if she'd have won that match, she'd have come out of it you know, with another great reaction. And all the viewers at home, you know, and other people are going to attend events, see that, and see that, you know, their perception there is, wow, she's a massive star. You know, if they really wanted to flip the title over and go that way, you know, surely they could do that the next night on Raw. You know, there's always a way to work that round. And if anything, more people then get to see it as well, don't they?
2: Well, that's right, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it's just... um very very strange mentality i just don't understand it i mean ufc you know is a a great example you know they build up stars in their hometown or home country or home state um markets and um use them to draw you know uh, very effectively and um you know they've done that on countless occasions they've gone into places like um you know toronto and you know, drawing 50 odd thousand with George St. Pierre. And even though George St. Pierre is not from Toronto, he's um, a big Canadian star. And, uh, you know, they've done similar things with, like, of Michael Bisping over here in the UK. And, uh, you know, they've had um, over in the US people who are um, stars in, um, you know, te- you know Texan- Texas born and bred going to Houston and Dallas and uh, you know, performing. Big marquee matches in those markets. And, um, you know, it just makes complete sense to do that to try and get people over in their hometown markets. And, you know, yeah, the last That, fe- that,
1: that feel good moment. You know, for you imagine, for all them kids that are there as well supporting Bailey, that's that feel good moment that the next time Bailey's in town, they all desperately want to go and see her.
2: Well, that's right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you look at CM Punk, I mean, he got over fantastically well. Uh, in Chicago, which is his hometown. And, um, he was actually afforded a couple of, uh, memorable moments, victories there in front of that audience. And, um, you know, every time he returned, uh, the reaction he would get would be amazing. And, um, you know, even to this day, you know, several years on from his departure from the WWE, they still chant his name and, you know, when they uh, run backlash, um, you know, weaken a bit's time. Um, you can guarantee that at some point during that show, um, you know, CM Punk, CM Punk will be reverberating around the Allstate Arena. Um, so it just shows the, the kind of power of, uh, you know, allowing people to get over. <laughs> um, you know, what a novel concept that is, allowing people to get over. But, uh, you know, it, it's just yeah. one of these strange Vince McMahonisms. I just don't understand it.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's times when it does make sense and there's times when it, it can be used effectively. But yeah, to, to do it straight out as a, a policy to the point where everybody just expects it now is, um, it is slightly bizarre. A bit before we, you know, leave payback behind, and I did want to get your thoughts on one thing. Now, I quite enjoyed that, you know, the Hardys against Cesaro and Sheamus you know that they I thought they had a decent match and we again saw the, the you know the handshake thing at the end that they'd been building along and building along but I really enjoyed the way that it was it was Cesaro that flipped after it then they hit the beat down and they've turned them to and I just think it's I just think it the timing was right and it's given them so much momentum that I I, I for me I enjoyed that that was one of my favorite moments of of the event
2: yeah, it was good because um, it was slightly unexpected as well. And, um, now I suppose there were those very, very subtle hints in the lead up to payback that, you know, something like that could happen. Uh, but you'd have to be paying very close attention. Um, but no, that was really well done and, uh, you know, worked really well. And, um, you know, I think it was needed in a way because, um, you know, Cesaro and Seamus, whilst they're on that brand, um, alongside the Hardys, would never get um, that gold until they decide to eventually split up the Hardys and, and turn them into single stars, which probably won't happen until um, you know the legal case with TNA's owners, in, uh, Anthem, um, is sorted out in terms of the Broken Matt Hardy character. Um, so I think for the time being, it was the right thing to do. Uh, but as you say, it was very well done. And gives um, a bit more mileage to that program as well. Uh, now that we've got a distinct face, heel divide, so uh, you know, I can see it culminating in Cesaro and Sheamus eventually winning those titles, which will be thoroughly well deserved because I think they've um, been, you know, surprisingly, you know, very good as a pairing. So uh, I'm sure that time will come. and That time will come, possibly in July at Great Balls of Fire.
1: You say great balls of fire like it was nothing, like it was a name <laughs> of the a event. Strike, <laughs> <laughs> like it was an established name of a, an event. <laughs> now at the beginning of of uh, of the event, um, Chris Jericho beat Kevin Owens for the for the U.S. title. Uh, so we had then on Raw, it was you know the the saying goodbye to Chris Jericho that was his final night on raw and he was going to be going over to smackdown um i was half expecting that you know kevin owens would be appearing on raw again is you know was that what the deal but obviously not but um clearly i mean that they flipped the title again on on smackdown so you know this title flip flopping 2017 seems to be the year of it um where do you stand on that i mean do you, do you think it was it was useful for the purpose of of just a way of seeing Jericho out and in um, being able to you know I suppose get a, the equivalent of taking a footballer off in the eighty ninth minute to get a stand ovation before before they're done because obviously he's going to be away now with Fozzie for a, for a period of time.
2: Yes, I mean it was a surprise. Um, I didn't expect Jericho to win the title. And I think most fans that pay attention didn't expect that to happen either most people knew that uh, Jericho would be disappearing for a while um, to do his fozzy thing. Um, So the fact that um, he beat um, Kevin Owens for the United States Championship um, was a pleasant surprise. And um, obviously they've continued um, their rivalry over on the SmackDown side. Um, But inevitably that will end. Um, We know that Jericho is disappearing imminently and um, it might end as soon as Backlash. Um, But no, that that was quite nicely done and I think you're right, it was perhaps done to a uh, give a nice little send off. Um it might be uh, only two months, might be six months, but um you know he deserves it as well. Um he's been a, a real star um for the last twelve months or so. I mean I remember what, um around April last year when I was talking about how uh, WWE should perhaps ditch Jericho and uh, make that space available for somebody from the nXt side um, but Jericho as he's often done in the past you know reinvented himself yet again and um, developed a really fine fine comedy character um, and um, played off perfectly with uh kunos in a very memorable double act and um, you no know, it, it was rich reward for uh, you know a really really strong 12 or so months.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bray Wyatt could take note of uh, just how people like, you know, Chris Jericho have evolved and changed their character on a constant basis rather than, you know, just doing that same thing over and over like, we, you know, we spoke about earlier. So, you know, the the, the evidence is there, you know, there's someone on hand to learn from. But um, just on Raw then, I mean, how do you feel... That Raw has gone since since they uh, they shook the uh, the roster up. You know, we had them move around so with Kurt Angle now as as the GM. How, how do you think feel that the Raw is progressing over the past few weeks since the all the roster changes?
2: Um, it, it's been a mixed bag in my view, and I don't think that the show's quality has improved. If anything, it's slightly worsened. Um, I've I mean, Braun, Braun Strowman, like for many of us, is a guilty pleasure. And yes, he's not the world's greatest worker, but he's a breath of fresh air in a way because he's a throwback type, um, performer, um, very kind of 80s style in certain respects, um, but with a modern twist. And, uh, you know, in an environment where you've got a lot of smaller guys who are, um, you know, very good in the ring, uh, but don't have that kind of, star presence, large than life, kind of aura about them in the way that Braun Strowman does. Um, you know, I think he, he's certainly got a role to play. Um, so his kind of push and his evolution um, has been really good to see. Um, there's been other elements of it, though, that haven't really inspired. Um, Dean Ambrose has moved across, but it's still the same old Dean Ambrose. Now, we've talked at length in the past about how he... Is another one who's in desperate need of, um, um, you know, refreshing that gimmick, maybe coming out with something completely new and different, um, uh, but it's more of the same from him. And, um, you know, the Miz has gone over, um, uh, but since, you know, um, the parting of ways, um, where he had, um, that great rivalry with John Cena leading into WrestleMania, um, I think he's slightly lost his way, even though obviously he's being pushed and, uh, He's the number one contender, uh, for the intercontinental championship. Um, but yes, the, the overall feeling is, is that, um, you know, they've not come off of that, um, shake up quite as well as SmackDown did. And, um, I think the evidence is there to be seen on the weekly TV. I think that the shows have not been poor shows, but they've certainly not been great shows. And, um, they, they are really, Feeling quite samey, samey, and a bit formulaic, and um, I, I'm, uh, you know, as I've said before, I think we're just stuck with this kind of po- pattern there.
1: Yeah, it's I, I, I really did feel like that watching the raw this past week on you know from London. It, I felt like it, it was a raw that I've I've watched probably I don't know. <laughs> Uh, about forty-eight times over the past year, but the week before I thought was was good, and and that's it. You, you, it's like you get these, the raw, you get these sorry these rare weeks where raw is really good, but most of the time it just slips back into this sort of mediocrity. And 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 one thing that's kind of um, concerning me, should we say, at the moment is is what's happening with uh, Finn Balor since his return, because you know. I think you've mentioned it before, you know, when, when he, when he came in from, uh, sorry, when he, he came up from, uh, from NXT, it was like, you know, a rocket was attached to his back. They were going all the way with him. They put the universal title on him. Obviously, he had to relinquish it the following night through injury. He felt like a, a huge star. He's come back and uh, I don't know. I feel like he's almost like he's a little bit lost in the shuffle. Um, am, am I seeing it? Am I seeing things wrong here?
2: No, you're spot on. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, and it's sort of what I was alluding to in the, um, pod that we did just after WrestleMania, when Brock obviously won the universal championship, uh, when we're talking about potential opponents for Brock and, uh, one of the names I suggested as an unlikely opponent for, um, Brock would be, um, Finn Balor, because, uh, the size difference is just ridiculous. Um, and, um, you know, we've got a guy in Brock who clearly has a problem with putting over guys who are a lot smaller than him. And, uh, you know typically does, um, feud with the, the bigger guys. And, uh, that's why I speculated, um, you know, back then, you know, some five, six weeks back that, uh, I felt that his next, um, program would be with either Braun Strowman or Roman Reigns. And, uh, the word is that had Braun Strowman not suffered his, um, elbow injury, um, in the last week or two, um, that it would be he that would, uh, be competing for the Universal Championship at that pay-per-view that makes you, uh, snigger every time we mention it, um, you know, in July. Um, but obviously the elbow, elbow injury, um might potentially scupper those plans and um it might in fact be Bray um, facing Brock Lesnar at Great Balls of Fire. Um but, you know, I I, I speculated it back then that um one of the victims of that um decision to make Brock Lesnar the universal champion could be um Finn Balor and obviously he you had know, that um rivalry there um, when he was, um, put out of commission, um, just after SummerSlam with, um, Seth Rollins. But obviously Seth Rollins has turned face. So they can't really build any storyline around that. And, um, they don't seem too keen to really, uh, do anything with him where the Intercontinental Championship is concerned just at this moment in time. So yes, he's he stuck in a little bit of a rut there. I, I'm sure it's a temporary thing though. I'm sure that um, whether it's a few weeks down the line or certainly three, four months down the line, um, we will be seeing him in um, a more meaningful program, and um, I, I've got no doubt that they've still got big, big plans for him.
1: Yeah, you, you would certainly hope so. I mean, he still has that, you know, that that effect with the crowd, and and I, and I I do like the way that they're not jumping straight to him coming out in the team and gave, Really do save that for the pay-per-view matches, keep it special. Um, And just one last thing on Great Balls of Fire, if Jerry Lee Lewis is not the theme music to that pay-per-view, I will be sorely disappointed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just before we do move off, Rob, because, you know, you mentioned there Seth Rollins. Now, Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe, they've been having this rivalry and obviously Seth Rollins, not, too natural as a baby face, kind of been growing into it. And I think, and I feel like their feud has actually started to get better in, in the past couple of weeks. It's, it feels like it's that, you know, almost like they they're finding a groove with each other. And last thing on Roy's, I've got to say, I really enjoyed the match. Those two had in London. I thought it was really good. I really, really enjoyed that match. And I think, I think there's more to come from them and I think they can have an even better match than that.
2: Oh, God, yeah. I mean, these are two guys that um, at different points I've labelled um, the best wrestlers in the world. So, you know, these are guys who are both capable of exceptional work. And uh, now it's unfortunate that since Seth Rollins returned from his original um, knee injury, um, he, he was never looking quite as sharp and as on point as he did prior to the knee injury. Um, Smojo i thought was uh, very very good um for a lot of twenty sixteen whilst he was in n x t since he stepped up to the main roster um you know he's certainly been given a very strong push um but with triple h no longer around um he's been missing a sly little something um so he's got to find his own um you know real role and position and um Breakout as well I think that He works well As a heel Um, It just It feels like Something's missing From him Um, But one of the Things that Certainly doesn't Miss um, Where he's Concerned is um, What he can do In the ring And I think That um, You know If he and Seth get a Chance to work Together uh, Possibly even Around uh, Great balls of Fire um, They could Produce something Really exceptional they're both more than capable of it. And I think that that could be just a thing to, um, you know, get things going for both of them. I, I think that, um, you know, they're in a pretty decent place, but, um, you know, they're not quite at the kind of peak levels that they should be at, um, given how talented they both are. Um, and again, it's yet another consequence of having, um, the main title within the raw brand. Um, effectively on a part-timer that shows up four times a year.
1: Yeah, I I, I do think, you know, that the the whole thing with Lesnar over the past few years of him not being on on TV week to week has kept him kind of special. But at this point coming off WrestleMania, it just feels like it's kind of the wrong thing. And and the title not being visible at such a key stage, it, it does feel like, you know, at the wrong moment. But... I'm sure we'll come back to that uh, in in time. So switching things across over to SmackDown, um, you've mentioned already. You know we feel that, you know, we both feel that um, they they got the better of of the changes in the in the with the rosters. Now what we have seen in in recent weeks is AJ Styles has now moved over and become babyface, and like we said, you know, they flip-flopped the the US title, but it is now back around the, the. Oh, sorry, not around the waist, uh, on the shoulder of the uh, the new face of America, Kevin Owens. I I, he's, I do love the guy. He's, he's you know that again another guy who can just slightly tweak his character as he goes along, yet fundamentally still be you know that same sort of uh, brazen and nasty heel. So, what? How do you feel things are going with SmackDown and and the way that? In my eyes, to my perception almost, that with AJ Styles and uh, Kevin Owens, that the US title feels more prominent than the WWE Championship at the moment.
2: Well, it's it's hard to disagree. I mean, clearly, uh, the more talented individuals are involved in the uh, United States Championship, same can't really be said for the uh, WWE Championship World Championship, whatever it's called this week. Um, And a lot of that has got to do with the fact that they've decided that um, Jinder Mahal should be the person um, who should be the number one contender for the um, WWE Championship. And, um, you know, that's been a very contentious issue. And uh, a lot of the talk has been that um, I think it's TNA um had struck a deal in India um quite a, a good TV deal and WWE worried about that um felt that they needed to counter that with um a strong move of their own and um they see India as a potentially very very lucrative market um in fact some of their um uh, greatest number of followers on social media are actually from India um, so they felt that, uh, as that market matures and, um, you know, they can monetize it uh, more effectively in the years to come. Um, that's something that they didn't want to lose to a competitor. So the word is that, um, they wanted to push Jinder Mahal, um, or at least an Indian character, um, in that market and give him a prominent position in the company and possibly even put a title on him. Um, so that explains this sudden push of a guy that up until a few weeks ago um, you know, was barely getting on you know, um, shows like Main Event and uh, was a complete non-entity in that company. Um, but, um, yeah, you're quite right. That really has no real momentum to it, um, even though they're giving Jinder a big push. And he's become a bit of a cult favorite in certain circles, but um, he's clearly quite limited. Um, and doesn't really warrant the position he's got in contrast um kevin Owens is supreme talent um whichever way you want to look at it and uh you know he will um you know i'm sure become the us champion again and if he doesn't um you know it could be that he will be the next contender for the, the world championship um if they decide to um swerve us again and uh Maybe Jerry Cole eventually drops that title to someone else. Um, but yeah, you're quite right. At this moment in time, the U.S. Championship is surprisingly where it's at.
1: Yeah, that's. It. I mean, the, the, look, I can understand them wanting to make uh, Jinder Mahal more prominent if you know they're aiming for that market. If if that's if that's the thing behind it, that, then that's fine. But for me, you know, to to suddenly drop him in there, you know, off the back of, you know a six pack challenge match for a number one contenders with a number one contender slot with, you know, you looked at some of the guys in it and you thought, what, how the hell did any of these guys get to, to even the chance to be a number one contender? When you look at how they've been placed on the card previously, it, it was, it, it just didn't ring true to people watching it. It's, it's that, you know, ridiculousness of, of things from time to time. If, you know, if you want to make him prominent for me, just build him up. Build him up over hmm. two, three months of running through people, you know, gaining real momentum, and then if he gets, you know, to th- th- does get that uh, number one contender slot, it it isn't seen as a joke and and laughable. Is he looks, you know, like a, a genuine contender, and then th- they've re- you know they've got something to build behind. But well, this sort of thing Talking quite. logic,
2: <laughs> oh, he can't do that um but i mean this sort of thing happens over and over that um they decide for no obvious reason um except to themselves that um they should start to really push somebody to the moon out of the blue or do the opposite and uh, bury someone um six foot under um again out of the blue and um when they do these types of things it really has the desired effect where they're concerned and uh no, I, I really struggle to think of any guy or girl on their rosters um, who've just been pushed out of the blue um, and they've gotten over um, in the way that they hoped. The only person I can really think of is Kevin Owens when he was brought up to the main roster and put over John Cena um on his first night in. Uh, but he did have the benefit of coming in as the NXT champion. So at least the fans had a bit of familiarity and at least on that brand, he was uh, being pushed and presented in a strong way. Whereas somebody like Jinder Mahal has been a prelim guy for years. Uh, Yeah, People
1: already knew Kevin Owens. You know, he was already a world-class worker and talker. He he already had an established character. Uh, People knew who he was and were ready to get behind him. It, It wasn't, it wasn't quite so much of a surprise. It was more of, you know, finally this guy's here rather than what the hell's he doing there.
2: Absolutely, that's right. And, um, you know, again, it just backs up the point you were making that um, giving somebody a gradual push and um, you know, taking him through those different steps to establish them as a star is, is the way to do it. And um, so I think that, you know, with this gender experiment, I think it'll be a few weeks, maybe a couple of months before they decide. Actually, no, he's not ready to be, uh, in a program for the world title. Our number one strap, the strap that has the lineage going back to 1963. So, uh, come on guys, wake up. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think they will. And, um, you know, J- Jinder, he won't be relegated back to the position he was. I, I still think they want a character that, um, Know, can be seen as um, a strong um, individual um, to get over in the Indian market, but um, certainly in terms of being a, a permanent fixture in the main event scene on SmackDown, um, I, I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about them that you know, the WWE tapping into these other markets. Yeah, I mean, that leads us nicely into the move into the UK market. Now we've already had the UK tournament, obviously, you know, Raw and SmackDown have been from the UK. They- this week uh, the uk tour in europe quite often you know that it's very lucrative for them but now they're looking at this you know the, the this regular uh, uk tv program and um the word the word is that it's it's jim ross and nigel McGuinness that are going to be doing the commentary and you know the, to help really sort of help get that get that over uh, get get a bit more exposure in in recent weeks we've been seeing some of the uh, the guys from that UK tournament on NXT uh Tyler Bates been on there defending the title um slightly look it looking slightly different and and I, and I do think going forward his character's going to need a little bit of work but um uh, with with this NXT um takeover event in Chicago coming up uh, next week we're going to see Pete Dunne Challenge uh, Tyler Bate for the the um, UK Championship uh, more. Uh, do, do you feel that like this is the right way to go for uh, WWE? Do you feel that like there is a mar- enough of a market there for them for this you know weekly TV event I- in the UK? And do, do you feel like that they're pushing the 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 the, uh, the whole UK title thing enough?
2: Well, they're um, two night. Um tournament which was broadcast live on the wwe network back in january uh, was a resounding success um and after that i thought that they'd follow up very quickly with um, more tapings um and yet it was only um weekend just gone that they eventually got around to uh, following up on those shows that took place in blackpool and their second set of tapings um um, there were two two nights of them which were emanating out of Norwich. And that that's a story in itself because um, they used the venue that has been used by the family of Paige, uh, the Knight family, uh, for their TV tapings, for their promotion, uh, World Association of Wrestling. And um, you know, WWE trolled uh, that family uh, by saying, okay, we're going to turn up In your venue, we're going to sell it out two nights. We're going to film our show uh, right out of your venue um, one week before you bring in um, the likes of Rey Mysterio and um, Alberto Del Rio, now known as Alberto El Patron, um, and um, several other former WWE superstars. Um, And that taping schedule for this weekend um, in Norwich as well. Uh, but no, the the tapings were a success and you're quite right. It's Jim Ross and Nigel McGuinness. They'll be on commentary. And I I think the plan is that this will become a weekly show. And again, it goes back to, um, competitive paranoia because, uh, WWE is aware that, um, ITV has plans to, um, turn their world of sports show, which was, uh, trialed as a one-off on New Year's Eve into a, a weekly series. And, um, there were actually TV tapings planned for the World of Sports show, um, for later this month, but they've been postponed, uh, for a few weeks. Um, so I think that show will likely debut August, September time. They were actually planning to, um, use Jim Ross for that show until the WWE that were happy to get rid of Jim Ross several years ago he said, Oh, no, we can't have Jim Ross going to commentate for, um, um, a show on net network nationwide television in the UK, which happens to be the WWE second strongest and biggest market. Um so they brought him back very quickly and um, he'll be commentating on the WWE UK weekly show. Um, and I think that that will be starting. Um, I think it's late June, possibly early July and it should be a weekly series from there on in, but you know, there's an abundance of talent in the UK and, um, as you mentioned, WWE's just been, um, running, um, various UK dates for its raw and smackdown brands too, um, over the last week, week and a bit. And, um, as part of that, um, tour, they've, um, invited a good couple of dozen talents, mostly from around the UK, um, you know, just for tryouts. And, uh, the word is that they'll be, um, taking several of those individuals over to, um, uh, NXT and the developmental um, setup that they've got in Orlando, and um, again, it just goes to show the depth of talent over in the UK. That um, uh, they're um, looking at the UK as arguably their strongest source of talent right now.
1: Yeah, it is. It is good for UK fans and and for UK wrestlers. You know that that there is an avenue there. You know, years ago it was. <laughs> There was so few and far between that, you know, to see a British wrestler on, on, on part of an American promotion was, was so unique that it, but it, you know, it was huge. It really did feel huge. Um, yet here we are more and more, more you know, month on month, it seems uh, that we, we, we're seeing and it's becoming a regular thing. And it's, it's, it's nice as well. I feel that, uh, you know, there's people within the WWE openly sort of recognizing that the different technical styles and, and just allowing that to be showcased rather than stopping them using that style. You know, with the people like Jack Gallagher, you know, almost encouraging them to, to have to, you know, to really showcase what is unique and different about them compared to, uh, some of the stuff that, that, you know, American or North American fans are so accustomed to seeing over the years. So it's, um, yeah, it's certainly good for, for British fans and for up-and-coming uh, up British wrestlers. So, I mean, we mentioned they're like NXT. So, you know, like you said, Tyler Bate, Pete Dunne, they're going to be fighting for the UK title on this uh, TakeOver event, which is coming up next weekend. And um, it's slightly out of the blue because normally it's only, you know, the big four when we, we see the TakeOver events. Do you, do you think that this is going to become a more regular thing? Um, NXT takeover specials maybe every couple of months?
2: I think so, actually. I mean, if they didn't do this, they'd only have the four shows. And I guess the feeling was, was that um, potentially waiting four months um, to culminate feuds um, between the NXT that takes place before WrestleMania Then the next NXT takeover, which would take place four months or so, four and a half months later, um, you know, just before SummerSlam, just too big a gap. So it makes sense for me that, um, they're slotting one in, um, at this point in time. So that's, um, on the 20th of, um, May and, um, NXT takeover Chicago. And it's looking like a pretty good lineup as well.
1: Yeah, I've um, I, I kind of like the way that they've they've brought uh, Hideo Itami back, you know, and paired him with with Bobby Roode, and they they haven't had to do much in truth, but the little that they've done has kind of felt quite special, and it's almost as though in in the past few weeks that NXT is rediscovering, you know, that, that how they how they found that sort of you know that really good formula you know a year or two ago where you know less can be more at times and yeah i'm quite looking forward to Atami and Rude and and seeing what they can do uh and like you say you know Tyler Bates and um Pete Don i think that could be very very interesting in match that one and Something that I have seen on, on NXT was, you know, the, the story of, um, oh my God, his name <laughs> escapes me now. Drew McIntyre? Oh, no. Uh, the, Alistair I, Black. I, I the, oh, oh my word. um His name just completely popped out of my head as I was about to say it.
2: Not Alistair Black.
1: Roderick Strong. Apologies. Oh, Roderick. Okay. Yeah. The backstory of Roderick Strong. Now, th- this is the kind of thing that, you know, NXT in the past have done really, really well with characters, you know, going behind, you know, what they're really about. And there's so much more depth to him. And it just adds something to a guy who you've always known to be a really good worker. And you think, wow, you know, there really is something to him. I, I think maybe th- this was kind of needed probably a couple of months ago. But, yeah, th- it's uh, uh, just the kind of the things that are going on at- at- over the past few weeks at NXT, you find it feels as though... That they're getting themselves together that, you know, the dust has settled after they've obviously, you know, they've been robbed again of, uh, of their talent, of their roster uh, and things are kind of getting going and there's a bit of momentum there. And, and I, I just feel like NXT is really coming together. Uh, I mean, do you, do you think that NXT that the, you know, with the moving in the, and taking these positive steps again?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, it was a big loss for them when they lost, um, their main writer, Ryan Ward, to SmackDown, um, some, about 15 to 18 months ago. And I thought that, um, certainly in the weeks and several months just after he left, um, the show was feeling very, very, um, formulaic and, uh, really quite uninspiring, in fact. I really wasn't impressed with NXT as a weekly show and it was almost hard to feel that way because they had so much good talent on the roster um you know early 2016 and also um the fact that it's only an hour um you really shouldn't go wrong with a one-hour slot you know you should be able to put in uh or put together a really compelling one-hour broadcast um week to week and um don't have to fill it out and pad it out with uh all kinds of crap in the way that we often see with Raw uh when they have to take that to three hours. Um but it feels like um wherever the writers are now are starting to find their groove and um clearly they've had to um bring a lot of uh new talents in and um now that's certainly freshened things up as well and um, because the kind of whole thing with and whole vibe with NXT is that um, there's a bit of a revolving door and nobody really should stick around for more than a couple of years on TV. Um, And if they do, um, then maybe that's uh, a telling sign about why WWE feels they don't belong in the main roster. But um, no, after a disappointing, relatively speaking, takeover event prior to WrestleMania, I think this one uh, with NXT TakeOver Chicago certainly has a potential to be uh, one of the best TakeOver shows in quite a while. Um, now, Itami, uh, the former Kentaro from Pro Wrestling Noah, is uh, one of the great workers in all of wrestling of the last 15 years. Um, not the worker he was perhaps 10 years ago, um, but uh, and obviously he's coming off a serious injury as well. But, um, you know... A motivated Itami uh, can still be an exceptional um, worker in the ring, and I think he can have a very good match with Bobby Roode. Uh, But my match of the night uh, almost surely would have to be Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne. They had an amazing match um, in the main event, in the finals of the uh, UK Championship Tournament, and I've got no doubt that um, this will be uh, every bit as good as well. And, um, you no, know, uh, that's probably the one I'm most looking forward to. I'm really excited about that one. And, you know, even the authors of pain against DIY, I mean, they've, between them, you know, now on two occasions, um, really surprised us with some, um, fine, fine showings. And, uh, I, I think that this one will be no different, especially given it's a ladder match where, you know, they could, uh, you know, certainly hide some of, uh, Akam and Reza's, um, flaws, um, you know, with some of the bells and whistles that come with the ladder match.
1: Yeah, and I think on on top of what looks like a good card and a show that is, you know, again, being built pretty well, I think what will really go for this event will be the crowd. Because, I mean, you've already mentioned it, you know, how hot they are in Chicago, that they love their wrestling there. You know, obviously, CM Punk chancel will no doubt be there, but... You know, th- this will be a hardcore wrestling audience, and I think they'll be really, really hot. And and I think the crowd really, really makes makes th- these events that bit more special. And and I think, you know, potentially with this crowd, you know, the WWE could be onto a hell of a show here.
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, it's um, got all the makings. Anyway, you know, some hot matches uh, an almost certainly very hot crowd. And uh, you know, bring the two together, and it should be a, a really, really superb two and a half, three hour show.
1: Yeah, quite looking forward to it actually. And I'm sure we will discuss that one uh, once it's been done and dusted. Um, but that's us just about done for tonight. Before we go, the more, um, any articles in the pipeline? Anything you've got coming up, or anything that you've uh, recently had published that you want to tell our listeners about?
2: Um, I will have another article. Um, coming out next month in the June issue of Total Wrestling, where I'll be looking back at um, 15 years of TNA stroke impact wrestling, um, which uh, I'm sort of dreading having to write about in a way, but um, it is quite a story, a promotion that at one point looked like it wouldn't even last six weeks. um, Somehow managing to stay in existence for 15 years. I mean, it's been counted out more times than um, you know, a whole bunch of cats, you know, between them having 90 lives, for example. Every time you think, right, that's it, they're done, they somehow survive and come back from the dead. And they're still around, they're still here. So uh, I'll be writing about that, and uh, uh, I'm sure I'll have a bit of fun with that.
1: Yeah, they've um, they've redefined crap at, um, at some point <laughs> throughout that period. But there there was also a golden period. I do remember going back probably about a decade ago where there were some absolutely terrific matches. Uh, One that always stands out for me was Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, a triple threat match for the X Division Championship. It was absolutely phenomenal excuse upon brilliant, brilliant match. And um, it's it's a shame that... um, TNA Impact, whatever you want to call it, uh, it, it's a shame they didn't really sort of establish themselves and and give the WWE some some decent competition to really sort of push them on again.
2: Well, that's right, yeah, no, um, no, that's absolutely right, and that's uh, so why I'm um, I, I'm just hoping that they can get their shit together and to actually become a a decent um, place for wrestlers out there to go and work, and uh, more importantly to become a an alternative that fans can go to if they feel that WWE is not really doing it for them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a promotion that's also got back onto UK TV. It's, uh, it can be seen weekly on spike, um, at weekends as well. I think it is, or it might even be Thursdays or Fridays. and um, so, um, you now they've done well to get that deal after they lost their previous TV deal with challenge. And, um, They've got, um, you know, Scott DeMore, who produced a lot of their very, very best, um, booking some 10, 11 years ago with Kurt Angle in Samoa Joe. And, um, if he can, um, you know, find that magic that he had uh, creatively and, um, you know, pull together a consistent product with hungry young talent, then there's no reason why TNA against all the odds can't become, um, Another promotion that um, is worth a watch. So uh, I hope I hope they can achieve that.
1: Yeah, I hope so too. And I'll certainly look forward to uh, to that article. Uh, and we'll once it's out, we will retweet it um, via the the Pro Wrestling Index uh, Twitter account, which is of course at PW underscore Index. Uh, And like we say, you know, you you can keep in touch with us at the show on that account, Uh, contact us, anything, anything you want us to discuss, questions, whatever you want, you know, we, we are reachable via that. Um, But anyway, that's it for tonight. Uh, We will be back next week to talk uh, a bit more WWE and, and see where we're going heading into backlash, which I I am looking forward to. And uh, we will discuss that a bit more in depth next week. But for for tonight, from um, from from Mo Chatterer and myself, Andy Wales, we want to say thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you for hitting that download button. That's it for the Pro Wrestling Index. Until next week here on the Anfield Index Podcast Channel. So until then, it's bye bye now. <laughs>